Okay, so as you've heard, today is Psalm 116, so I'll give you a little moment to get to it. Okay. <laughs> okay, Marty. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Well, thank you, David. Good on you. This is your psalm, David. You know that, don't you? I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, and he's got year 12 maths exam tomorrow, and he comes to church today. Good on you. Good job. <laughs> okay. Ken Sanderson reminds me that the text of the first sermon ever preached on Australian soil on Sunday, February 3rd, 1788, by Richard Johnson, the chaplain to the First Fleet, was from verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Of all the 31,102 verses in the Bible that Johnson could have chosen to preach on, he chose that one. And of all the verses in the Bible I could have picked for our vision Sunday, because I'd forgotten that Richard Johnson preached on that one, I chose this one. Is that coincidence? I think it's obvious, and I think we're going to see why. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much. We can gather in your name as your people, and you are our Lord, and you have been good to us. Please open our eyes to see and appreciate that just a bit more clearly, so that with our hearts we can say, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you think of a time when someone's been very generous towards you? When someone is generous towards us, we want to respond. Not to pay for their generosity. Uh, that would be an insult to their generosity. But out of gratitude. And the question, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness towards me? That is a question that is, will resonate with every person who's a Christian. Because every person who is a Christian knows deep down that they have only been saved by God's grace towards them in Jesus. And that deep down, that grace is not deserved because God's spirit, you see, has convict us not, convicted us not only of our sin in the past, 
but also our sinfulness. In other words, we are convicted of our guilt and our depravity. Meaning that even if we tried to save ourselves, we couldn't, we wouldn't be able to. And that means also we certainly do not deserve God's grace towards us in Jesus. And yet every person who is a Christian knows that out of astounding love and compassion for we who are undeserving, God gave his precious and sinless son to die a horrific death, a shameful death on the cross to save us, dying in our place. And that means that every Christian who's accepted this will know the sense deep down of being overwhelmed at God's goodness towards us in Jesus. And we will resonate with the sentiment behind the question in the psalm, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness towards me? It's an impossible question, isn't it? You can't repay the Lord for all his goodness towards us. But that just shines a light on how wonderful his grace is, doesn't it? It can't, it can't be bought, it can't be repaid. He's so good. But we feel so grateful and, therefore, and we know to do nothing is not an option because his grace is so good and it's right to want to give back to God, not to pay for grace, but in gratitude. It's right to want to honour him who loves us more than we deserve. Isn't that right? So what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness towards me? Let me ask you, is that your question? When you think about yourself, where you are now today, sitting here, is that a question that you could phrase in your mind? Would that be true for you? Is it my question? If you've never asked that question and talk about God's grace is somewhat foreign, well, you need to go on your knees to God and ask him to show you. That's what you need to do. And maybe you've asked that question in the past, but it's not really your question right now. And if so, chances are that you're feeling burdened, weighed down, or you're just distracted. If either are true, you need to get on your knees and ask God, your heavenly Father, to show you grace again. But if this question is one that's live for you now, if you could say it, then you'll be able to say with the psalmist his opening words, I love you, Lord, you'll be able to say it. So could you say those words? Could you say, I love you, Lord? Sometimes we do love someone, but we find it hard to say it. I'm old enough to remember the release of the song Words back in 1993, and you can just hear it, can't you? Words don't come easy to me. How can I find a way to make you see? Now, you and I know that that is a, about a guy who is tongue-tied around a girl. But I reckon it is really about Christians 
who struggle to express themselves to God. Because for a majority of Australian Christians, words don't come easy. This Psalm, Psalm 116, helps us. It gives us the words. He says up front, I love the Lord. Now is that something that you have ever said? Have you ever said, I love the Lord? Have you ever said to God, I love you, Lord? Have you actually done it? Have the words exited your mouth? Now, maybe you can say those words, but you've just never done it. You've never come to the Lord and said, I love you, and then told him why. Well, the psalmist says why. He says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. And then he explains, the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave overcame me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Now, we don't know the details, but obviously this person had a terrifying experience of being brought almost to the brink of death. He stared it in the face. He speaks of the anguish of the grave. He speaks of being overcome with distress, not just distress, but overcome with it. He's absolutely helpless. And then in verse four, then totally helpless, I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. And then the Lord who is gracious and righteous, our God, who is full of compassion, or literally a mercy doer, because when the Lord feels compassion, it doesn't just mean he feels sorry or pity for someone, it always results in action. The, the feeling is not, can never be divorced from action. The Lord is a mercy doer, he's full of compassion, he does mercy. So that, verse six, when I was brought low, he saved me. In other words, this man has been saved from death by the Lord. Now, I've not had a recent experience of this that I know about, right? I might have been saved from death by the Lord, but I just don't know about it. But I have had real-time answers to prayer for protection. In 2019, Sally uh, was backpacking through Europe alone as a single girl. That focused my prayers considerably as a dad. <laughs> um, and she was coming into Florence and then walking late at night to her backpacker's hostel. And the streets in Florence were narrow. Mostly she felt safe in Europe, but not in Florence. There were people lurking in the dark doorways. She felt very unsafe. But God sent some Aussie angels to look after her. So um, what happened was on the train as she was you know, coming into Florence, she got in a conversation with some other girls there. I'm an Aussie, started talking about Vegemite, as you do. And then <laughs> there were some other Australian guys who were walking through the carriage, overheard an Australian accent, overheard the word Vegemite, and, uh, sort of, and then decided to escort Sally from the train station to her hostel. And they said, look, where are you going? We're not gonna touch you, we're just gonna walk with you safely until you get where you need to go. It's a specific answer to prayer. And Sally acknowledged it, she told me when she got home, and I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> right. um, verse six, the Lord protects the unwary, that is the inexperienced. So there's reason why he says, I love you, Lord. And then in verses seven to 11, the psalmist turns and he talks to himself. It's the second movement. Return to your rest, my soul, or in the older version, be at rest once more, O my soul. This is the self-talk of the saved. 
It's clear from the fact that he's telling himself to return to a state of rest, he's currently not in a state of rest. Right now, if you've ever been through a traumatic moment, and it's a real trauma, you'll know it stays with you. The scene keeps replaying, you can't stop it. It goes around in your head. Well, now we see that there's a form of helpful self-talk which we can practice where you become a pastor to yourself by reminding yourself of what God has done for you. He says, return to your rest, my soul, because the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, now he's talking to the Lord, for you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He's reminding himself of what God has done for him, delivered him from death and enabled him once again to walk before the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that the trauma is completely gone, verses nine and 10, he's replaying what it, what's happened. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. You know, there was a moment he did put his trust in the Lord, but it was hard. In my alarm, verse 11, I said, everyone is a liar. So reading between the lines, obviously he'd been the victim of some sort of plot involving numerous people and widespread deception. Now, who is this? It could have been King David. Verse 16 in the Psalm is a repeat of Psalm 86, which we know was from David. So this could have been from David. And several times we know people were plotting to take David down and to end his life. Saul sent assassins to assassinate him in his sleep. He sent spies, he sent henchmen, he sent armies against David. Saul and King David's own son at another time staged a coup against him. It might have been David. When you're the king in a palace with courtiers around you, many are plotting to have you removed. Might have been David, but we're not told. And the good thing about not being told is that it makes the psalm more generic. Look, it may be that there have been times in your life when it seemed like you didn't have a true friend left in the world. And people were talking about you. And you didn't know who you could trust. And you'd given up hope in people. And in your alarm and dismay, you might have said, everyone is a liar. Well, you may not have had people around you, but you had the Lord. And then the Lord came through. Grace where there was no grace available from any other source. And so we come to the question in verse 16, third movement, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness towards me? And now we're listening into the self-talk of the person who's deeply indebted to the Lord out of thankfulness. And he says, I'm gonna do four things. Lift, fulfill, sacrifice and call. Lift, I will lift up the cup of salvation. What is this cup of salvation? There's no other mention of such a cup in the Bible. So it's a metaphor, but we can figure it out. When you raise a cup, you are celebrating or exulting in something, aren't you? And then you drink it. So he has been saved, he's going to celebrate his salvation, he's going to exult in it, and he's gonna drink from it, it's gonna feed him. It's gonna fill him, lift. I will lift up the cup of salvation and then fulfill. 
I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He says this not once but twice, verse 14 and verse 18. And that tells us that there is resolve. It's no whim that he said this. He's determined to do this. He's going to fulfill his vows. Now, what vows? Well, maybe they were the vows that he made when he called out to the Lord. Deliver me, Lord, and I'll do this for you. Maybe he made that sort of vow, and now he's going to come good on them. Or maybe he made a vow later when he was reflecting with thanks to God that he has been delivered. We don't know. Either way, he said he's going to do something for the Lord, and he's going to do it. He's going to come good on his promises. This is part of his response to grace. And it's right to be like that. Okay, we can learn from it. When was the last time that you said, God, I am so overwhelmed by your goodness and kindness towards me, by your grace, that this is what I'm gonna do for you? Okay, have you ever gone to that level? And then done it. We get nervous about making vows, don't we? Because Jesus said, don't make vows or oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And from that we assume you should never ever make a vow and make a promise about something you're going to do. No, 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 no. Jesus was speaking against invoking something or someone in your oath as a higher authority than God. I swear on my mother's grave. As if that was more important than just saying, you can trust my word. When I say yes, I mean yes. And when I say no, I mean no. Jesus' point is just say what you do, you'll do and do it. He's not saying don't ever say that you'll do anything, <laughs> okay? Now many of us, for example, gave pledges to give financially next year to support Moz. Well, that was a promise, that was a vow, if you like, between you and God. And it, guess what, if you had never made that vow, then we wouldn't have been able to offer Moz a job and she wouldn't be doing, well, next year, that ministry that we've set her aside to do. Lift, lift up the cup, fulfill, fulfill my vows. Thirdly, sacrifice. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you. Now in this case, the thank offering was probably an animal sacrificed at the temple. That no longer happens because Jesus' death has done away once for all with animal sacrifices. But yet, the language of sacrifice, did you know, is still used of our praise or thanksgiving in the New Testament. So Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let's continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Our praise can be an offering of sacrifice. Or Revelation 7, around the throne in heaven, the angels, the seraphim, fall down on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen, Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks be to our God forever and ever. Thanksgiving offered before God. Now, I don't know whether you think of your giving thanks to God as an offering which is a right and appropriate part of your worship of God. It is. I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. I will offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And lastly, I will call. I will call on the name of the Lord. And again, this is said not once but twice. Verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Verse 17, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and 
Call on the name of the Lord. So that alongside rejoicing in salvation and being thankful is the psalmist calling and he's determining to keep on calling on the Lord. Now again, this is not something that he just says other people can do for me, other people can pray for me. It's not something he just leads aside for the priest to do. He determines to do it himself and to keep on doing it. He will call on the name of the Lord. And that's how this person responds to grace. Lift, fulfill, sacrifice, call. I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord. I'll sacrifice a thank offering. I'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, in a moment, I am going to ask us, as God's collected people here, to respond to grace. And I'm going to ask us to use this psalm as something, as a template for how we might respond. If you look on your outline to the bottom there, I'm going to ask each of us in a moment, if we can, to use the pens around you, to write down why we love the Lord. And then, tell him. And then, if it's right for you to also answer the question, what will I return to the Lord for all his goodness towards me? And there will be a chance to do that in the presence of all his people. Now, this is a bit out there, isn't it? Some of you might be thinking, Chris, that's a bit pushed. That is a bit forced. This psalm that we have in front of us, you might be thinking, is a personal response from one person. You cannot generalize out from something that's personal for one person to something that we all should do. And I want to say, of course this is a personal response. Of course it is. These are his personal words. But remember, the experience of grace is not unique to him. It's something every believer shares. And as well as that, at the same time as this being this man's word, the Psalms are also God's word to us. In other words, God is speaking to us through his word. He is teaching us in this psalm and he is challenging us. And there's three things to bear in mind, I think, as we move from this psalm to ourselves. Number one, these words point us to being saved by Christ within the psalm itself. So not only does that experience of grace resonate, but the psalm itself points us to the hope beyond death that comes in Christ. You see it in the movement from verse three when he says, the anguish of the grave overcame me. That word for grave is Sheol, the place of the dead. So in other words, it's not just dying that he was afraid of, he was afraid of where he was going after he died. But because God has saved his life, there's a change. He then speaks with confidence, the same confidence that actually the resurrection brings us. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. That is confidence that goes beyond death, that the same God who is with us in this life is also with us in the next. And for we ourselves, we know the resurrection of Jesus makes that confidence so much more certain, doesn't it? Okay, this is actually what Paul himself said, the Apostle Paul, our Apostle. He quotes verses, verse 10 of Psalm 116 to make this point in 2 Corinthians 4. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That's from Psalm 116, verse 10. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know 
that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Okay, so this psalm itself points us to uh, Christ. Second, what we see so beautifully modeled for us in this psalm is love expressed. Love should be expressed. You know, it's one thing to love the Lord, and that's great, good, right? But it honors him if we say it. If we say, I love you, Lord, and and to tell him why. It honors him. And if words don't come easy, the brilliant thing about this psalm is that if the Holy Spirit is teaching us, um, the words of this psalm can almost be thought of as a template. Finally, what this psalm does is it puts in front of us the rightness of responding to God's grace personally on an individual level, but also expressing this in a corporate setting when all of God's people are gathered together. You know, what's intriguing about verse 13 and 18 is not only does he say, I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord, but twice he says, I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now, we shy away from that in Australian culture. We can think of lots of reasons why we would not do that. Imagine someone standing up and saying, I'm coming good on my vow I've made to the Lord. We think that would be big noting ourselves. And we've heard Jesus' words about warnings about hypocrisy, and therefore we want everything to be private between us and God. You know, but, but, let me, I put that last bit in back to front, climax. <laughs> I want us to see in this psalm, uh, yeah, we do see the individual response to God's grace, but also we see the rightness of this being expressed when God's people are gathered together. And we think, I I couldn't do that. I'd be making myself out to be a super Christian. That would be hypocritical. It wouldn't be hypocritical if you're praising God for his grace towards you, you who are undeserving. That would not be big noting yourself. That would be big noting God. That would be the opposite of big noting yourself. To praise him for his grace is to give him the glory. And where else should God be glorified amongst people than within his own people? There's something right about that. So that brings us now to the response. What I'm gonna do is to stop and and give you a chance to put it into words. I want you to pick up your pen, and if you love the Lord, to write down the reason why you love him, and then to tell him privately, just in the quietness of your own mind, I love you, Lord, because... And then think about verse 12 and whether because of God's grace you want to do something. Then let me tell you what's gonna happen. Um, If any of you are up to it, and it's not forced, right? There is no must about this, but if you would like to, in the presence of God's people, there will be a time for an open mic, a time of corporate worship, when you can tell God why you love him. You might lift up the cup of salvation, share your experience, you might offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, And even you may want to say, Lord, this is what I will do. And you you come good on your vow in the presence of all his people. But first of all, let's respond to God individually. So I'll give you just a moment, there'll be some music played.
Father in heaven, we do love you. We love you because of your grace towards us. There have been specific moments in our lives which we've all recalled where you've dealt with us, not as you should, but out of compassion and kindness and love. And we have felt your goodness and we know it. Our loving Father, When we stop and reflect, and it's grievous to us that we don't do it too much or enough, but when we do stop, we are overwhelmed and we can say, how can we repay you for all your goodness to us? And we realize that you have us in your hand and you love us more than we know. Thank you. I'm going now to ask Richard to take the mic and... um, If you want to lead in prayer, which would be honouring to the Lord, and maybe it's the first time, don't don't worry about that. Everyone else will sit there with their eyes shut.